So good morning again. Today we're going to close up uh, these Beatitudes, and um, from the pulpit anyway, and uh, try to do a quick survey of the remainder of the Sermon on the Mount, and then move on next Sunday into a study and opening up of the book of Romans. Uh, so we're going to uh, dive deep into that through the summer. And... Um, let me first also explain, because I, I, I kind of blurted it out during the Apostles' Creed, uh, Holy Catholic Church, so that none of you would um, get freaked out. Uh, that's an old school term. When I had to join my church back when the Dead Sea was just sick, you, you, had, to, you had to memorize the Apostles' Creed. And I'm, the, the word Catholic there in the Apostles' Creed is not the Roman Catholic Church. It just means the universal Christian church. And so when I memorized it way back in, the Beatles were still together. Um, I memorized it in that old school language. So that's why I blurted that out for those of you who might be wondering. So Let's pray as we go to God's word. Father, open up your scriptures. May we have eyes that see, ears that hear, and see the glory of Christ and his magnificent work on the cross for our behalf. May we not rely, Lord, in our own power, but solely upon the power of the Holy Spirit to see Jesus clearly crucified, clearly resurrected, and clearly reigning upon the earth. Forgive the sins of the one who speaks, that they may see Jesus and Jesus only. In your name we pray. Amen. (coughs) Excuse me. French author and philosopher André Maru said this. He said, the universe is an indifferent place. Who created it? We cannot know. Why are we here? How are we to know that? And I haven't the slightest idea myself why we're here, nor do I think anybody else does why we exist on this little dust ball out in the middle of nowhere. Sort of a empty philosophy, empty questions. And questions that those who have no hope in Christ legitimately can ask. But Jesus came to say something entirely different. He told us who created the universe himself. He told us why it was created for the glory of God. Tells us who we are in it and our mission in it. And where this will all end up and where we will be in the eternal home on a new earth with a new heaven. And the Sermon on the Mount has been a study on that very message for us. And as we've looked at these Beatitudes, we see the character traits of those who are followers of Christ. For many of us, we may have read these over the years As though they were somehow Jesus saying, blessed if this or that happens to you. Blessed if you feel this way. Maybe, maybe not. Some of you are blessed a little more than others. But we've read that, if we've read it that way, in a wrong condition. Instead of reading what Jesus truly means by this, that if you are his follower, this is not a goal or an objective, but this is the reality by which his followers would live. It's an antithesis to the way that the world might live 
Maybe if the world wrote Beatitudes, they might sound like this. Blessed are the rich and the wealthy, for theirs is the earth and everything that is in it. Blessed are those who are happy and joyful, for they don't need any kind of comfort. Blessed are the proud, for they inherit everything. Blessed are the beautiful and those who depend are self-dependent. For they get to get everything as well. Blessed are those who are never hungry and aren't thirsty and they're just happy to be who they are. Blessed are those who are the powerful and those who have power over other people because they don't need any mercy. Blessed are those who have an eye for the flesh and the things of the world because the one with the most toys at the end of the day wins. Blessed are those who are the strongest, who are able to defeat their enemies. And blessed are those who are lifted up high in the name of the world and get the trophies. And blessed are those who are liked by everybody. might be the world's beatitudes. It might be the wisdom of the world. In fact, it might be something all of us subtly seek. It might be something that In the middle of the night, we're alone. What we really wish for is that we would be liked by everybody, that we would have everything that we want and everything that we need, that we might be the most powerful, that nobody would ever pick on us. But Jesus says something completely different. Jesus says that when you hunger... And you thirst, you should be most joyous. Why would he say these things? Why would he say that the character trait of the follower of Jesus is one who knows that he's in deep need? One who has mourned over his life that knows that this life there needs to be something more. Someone who is dependent upon him. Someone who is meek and recognizes their dependency totally upon the Lord. One who realizes their hunger and they need the bread of life. One who is merciful because they've been shown great mercy. One who is pure and singularly focused on the Lord himself. These are the ones who are the sons of God. Contrary to this world. Those who are persecuted as we look at it today. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Blessed are those when you are reviled and insulted and put down because of Jesus. Why would he say these things? They seem so opposite of what the world and the flesh teach us. Well, I think for two reasons. One is this, so that you and I might know that we live in a different paradigm. We live in a different place. We live before the throne of God as those who are determined to be before the throne of God forever. That this conflict that you and I have in the flesh is the big neon sign in life that says... You belong to God. You belong to a different kingdom. You do not and will not any longer belong to the world and the world system. Yes, you have to live in it, but because you do live in it by a different set of rules, by a different paradigm of life, you obviously have conflict. 
And here's what's so sad. It's not so much that you have conflict with others as much as the others in the world. And even those of a false religion will have conflict with you. And it's an evidence. It's a sign. It's a testimony that you belong to Jesus. He says, because of that, be joyful. Be of great joy. The second part of it is, is that Jesus sets out a place of, of putting out these things in front of us that no man or no woman could ever wholly attain in their own efforts. So as to point us to the one who has attained it. That we might realize we really truly do have a Savior. We have a Redeemer. One who has walked the walk. One who has walked their talk. One who has done it perfectly so. So that your record and my record before the throne of heaven is complete in his record. And then Jesus goes on after saying, if you live this way, if this is what you pursue in your life, guess what? You will be persecuted. Even the religious people will persecute you. See, Jesus comes into a world with a whole new, different way of seeing things than the religious leaders of the day had seen them. Even those who called upon the name of Yahweh. I wonder sometimes what we think got Jesus crucified. Do we think he was crucified just because they were angry? Just because they didn't like him? The Pharisees had him crucified because he told them that their way of life was going to get them nowhere. That their way of life would lead them right into the pit of hell. That yes, they were religious people. Yes, they could quote their Torah. Yes, they could do many things. They were the good folks. But they were on a path straight to hell without God. Jesus later here in the Sermon on the Mount says that many will come to him in that day and talk about all the works that they've done, all the places and the miracles that they performed, the way that they preached, the way that they prophesied, the way that they taught Sunday school, the many things that they did, the way that they gave their money, all the scripture memory that they had. They're going to come and tell Jesus that and Jesus is going to say, depart from me because I never knew you. You see, Jesus sets a standard here of a heart, that your heart must be for God. Not just your actions, but your heart. And if your heart is not for God, if your heart is not in relationship with God, then your actions mean nothing. Paul picks it up in the 13th chapter of Corinth, doesn't he? By speaking the tongues of angels, if I have all sorts of wisdom, if I can do all sorts of miracles, if I can prophesy with the best of them, I'm nothing more than a clinging cymbal, a sounding gong. I'm a cacophony before the Lord. Because without love, without the relationship, without the connection with Christ, and realizing that His righteousness is my only hope, 
then I am nothing. That Jesus lays out in front of us these actions that we are to do, these actions that we're supposed to pursue, and what are they? They are a complete dependency upon God. Jesus calls us to be hungry and thirsty. Not to rely upon self and self-promotion and self-righteousness. To be hungry for a righteousness that comes to us from God, not something generated by ourself. In fact, it helps us to come to a mourning process that says, Lord, I have no ability to create a righteousness within myself that could ever be approved by your holy, holy, holy perfections. And so, Lord, it drives me to my knees in meekness that says, God, I'm totally dependent upon you in everything that I do and say. That, God, I am relieved to know that you are dependable. And that my hope is fulfilled in you, my Christ. So blessed am I who am satisfied because I hungered and I thirst for that which I could not generate in myself. And I'm blessed in the righteousness of Christ. He has shown me great mercy. He has shown you and I great mercy. That we might live as merciful people on this earth. And thereby seeking our hearts to be pure and seeing God work both in our lives today and the day that we will stand before His glorious throne and behold Him as He is. And blessed are those who make peace. But if we live that way, if we truly are committed to live that way, persecution will come. And if you are one who says, I depend upon Jesus, I depend solely upon Jesus, I live for Jesus, I live for the glory of Christ, and I have no hope other than Christ, and I place my hope in no other way but Christ, the world will make fun of you. I've quoted this before. It bears quoting again. It's a quote from Oswald Chambers. It says, if you'd like to do the things of Christ, the world will love you. It will adore you. But if you want to be like Christ, be careful because the world will kill you. You see, there's something insulting about Jesus when you have to depend upon Him solely for your own righteousness. When you stand before God and you realize, I have no other hope, I have nothing to offer, I have no place to go except on my knees to kiss the wounded feet of a Savior who has set a standard for me that is so perfect and so wonderful and has loved me with great mercy and comfort to make His record my record that I might be His forever. 
You see, what Jesus is proclaiming in the Beatitudes and the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, when He talks about this, He talks about you are salt and light to the world. Jesus says, be careful, realize, I came not to do away with the law, but to fulfill the law. Every jot and tittle of the law is on my ability, Jesus speaking, to fulfill it, not on anyone else's. If the law could be fulfilled by human effort, then why did Jesus condemn the Pharisees instead of accommodating the Pharisees with great reward and great accolations? Just the very thought that one's own righteousness could somehow earn them favor with God is an insult to the cross of Christ. Because if one can earn by their own righteousness favor from God, then Jesus died for absolutely nothing. But He did die to fulfill not only the requirements of the law, but the wrath of those for those who are unable to fulfill the law, which would be you and me. So he says, here's a new way of living, a new way. You've heard it said that those of old, I'm looking at verse 21, those of old, you shall not murder. Whoever murders is liable to judgment. Jesus says something much deeper than that, much broader. He says, I tell you, everyone who's angry with his brother is liable to judgment. My guess would be that if we were to hold up our hands, we might find someone. If I ask the question, are you angry at someone somewhere? My guess would be a hand, if you were honest, a hand would probably go up. In doing so, there's a recognition. I'm liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to hell. We might ask the question, how's that working out for us? You've heard it said, I'm in verse 27, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, anyone who's looked at a woman or a man with lustful intent has already committed adultery. It's already done. Divorce. It's also said whoever divorces his wife gives her a certificate of divorce by saying to you, everyone who divorces his wife except on the grounds of sexual immorality commits adultery. Once again, you've heard it said of old that you shall not swear falsely. I tell you, just say yes or no. Verse 38. You have heard it said that an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, Turn to him, the other is also. Love your enemies. You've heard it said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus goes on to say, give to the needy. Give to whoever asks of you. Then he teaches us on prayer, teaches us about fasting. Then he teaches us something very personal. Don't lay up treasures for yourself on earth. 
And then, even more personal, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will wear. Don't judge. Chapter 7, don't judge that you may not be judged. A tree and its fruit. And then closing with, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that, many of you will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy, another word for preach, in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? And do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. In these verses, Jesus teaches us that there's a difference between Christ's righteousness and self-righteousness. That there's only one way for you and I to have the law fulfilled, and it's in the fulfillment of the law by Jesus Christ himself and our faith in that alone. And that to put our faith in any other law-keeping method is actually lawlessness. Jesus says that we are to acknowledge that there is a difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. Let me give you just three bullet points of what Jesus is teaching. In all of these three chapters, he's teaching this. The first thing is this, that we are to love God above all other things. That you and I are called to love God above all other people and all other things. That we are to love God with our whole heart, our whole mind, all of our strength. There can be no other love that's higher than the love that we have for God. Secondly, we are to love others. That we are to do unto others as we would have them do unto us. That you cannot love God and not love the image bearers of God. Thirdly, we're called to enter into the kingdom now and forevermore. To live in this different life. What are we to learn then? How do we do that? The first thing is this. You and I must rely on the work of Jesus and His righteousness alone. Study the life of Jesus. Study the words of Jesus. Apply them. You may say, Pastor, if we do that, then what does our life look like from that point on? I'd maybe guide you to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where Paul says this, that the love of Christ controls us. Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, that we're growing in love, we're growing in joy, we're growing in patience and kindness. We're becoming more and more faithful. Those are all fruit that the Spirit produces from the life of following Christ. This is what Jesus says by take up your cross and follow me. Then repent. Not only rely upon Jesus and his work, but also repent from self-trust 
and self-righteousness. In every area of your life, in every corner of your life, in my life, in all those places where we trust ourselves to light our own torches, to come out of the dark, We must turn and rely upon Christ to be our light. For Christ to be our wisdom. For Christ and Christ alone to be our guide. Not only do we rest on His work and repent from our self-trust, but we rest. Hebrews chapter 4 clearly tells us that you and I are called into rest. The rest of the work of Jesus. That we're called to put our faith and our reliance upon Him and His sovereign will for our lives. Our trust that as we follow Him, He will lead us home. Beloved, you and I are created for a different world than this one. Evidenced by how we live for Him in this one. Will Moulton, who said, did a survey, a psychologist who did a survey, found this out of 3,000 people that 94% of them were simply existing, waiting. Waiting for children to graduate. Waiting for that big lottery check to come in. Waiting for a new car. Waiting for something to bring significance and meaning to their life. Jesus says for his followers, there's no need to wait any longer. That he is the bread of life. That he is the righteousness of life. He says, great is your reward in heaven. Because so they treated the prophets. You see Jesus saying, you're of the Old Testament and the New You are the saints from the very beginning that he would collect unto himself to live for his glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray.